0: Now we will turn to God's word. We're going to be in John chapter 12 this morning. We're going to hear a teaching about this moment, which we've just talked a little bit about and sort of kind of halfway reenacted here. Um, John 12, 9 to 26. And I'm going to invite my wife, Megan Fords, to read for us. Um, hear the word of God. John 12. Thank you, sweetheart. Morning.
1: Morning. All right. Let's read and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever.
0: Are there any movie buffs here? Anyone that really just loves movies, goes to go out to the movies from time to time, maybe? You yeah, good many folks really like movies. Our family tends to enjoy movies a good bit. But why do you go to the movies? Why do we go to the movies? Some of you may not go to the movies, all right? Some of you are like, I'm not a moviegoer. But bear with me on the analogy, right? Imagine, even if you've never been to a movie theater before, imagine why maybe you would go. Some of you perhaps go... Because it's a good way to spend time with people you care about, right you go out go on a date with someone you really care about or with your family or friends. It's not about the movie, it's about the people, maybe right Some of you may go because of all the hype about a movie. you go you know to see what everyone is talking about. Some of you may go because You're a movie connoisseur and you appreciate motion picture art, right? Maybe you have an interest in a particular theme or movie on a topic. You're there for the meaning, the message of the movie. And still yet others may go because there's a particular actor you appreciate. You go to see that person doing the thing that they do. At almost any movie, you could go around and poll people and you would probably find that they're there for all kinds of reasons. Many of them in that list I just gave. And the same would have been true for those coming to the Passover celebration in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, which we're reading about this morning in John 12. Some are there because their friends are going and their families are going. Some are there because of all the hype. Others are there because... They go every year out of religious devotion and appreciation for the meaning of the Passover. And still yet others are there to see a particular person, Jesus of Nazareth. As we will look a bit deeper at these things this morning, we will see, I hope we'll see, that it's all about Jesus. All this commotion, everything that's happening, even the Passover itself. As we go through the week, we're going to see this, that it was... Truly about Jesus Christ. Often around Christmas time we'll hear uh, people say things like Jesus is the reason for the season. Well that is very much true of Holy Week also. Jesus is the reason for this season. So the big idea I want to try and get across this morning is this. Because our Lord Jesus is the one who gives our faith meaning. In other words, it's all about Him. Because it's all about Him, we must live out our faith first and foremost for Him. Because it's about Him, we must live for Him. In other words, if you were to take away various pieces of our faith, this is an interesting way, sort of a a thought experiment, if you will. You could basically take away almost anything of the things that we do in our faith, practice in our faith, and you would still have the substance of our faith except one thing, Jesus. If you take away Jesus, you're left with nothing. You're left with nothing. You can take away the songs, the baptisms, the fellowship, the communion, evangelism, art, the seasons, all of it. And technically our faith would survive. Survive. But you cannot take away Jesus. All of those other things point to Him. He is the substance. He is the one who gives all of those other things their meaning. Without Him, what are we singing for? Why do we baptize? Why do we celebrate the supper? Why do we gather? If it's not for Jesus. Yet we are all so prone, are we not? Speaking for myself. As well, so prone to put other things in front of Christ. We're quick to make our faith, our faith life more about other things, just like the people in Jesus' day. They were doing it then, and we struggle with it now. But before we jump into the main points of the sermon this morning, let's get just take a moment to get a bit of background about what is happening here. A few moments ago, we reenacted in our own way some of the elements of this entrance that Jesus made into Jerusalem. Perhaps you're wondering, what in the world is going on, right? You show up to church, and there's people marching around in the building, singing these songs and waving tree branches for all, of all things, right? What is that all about? And actually, in some places where palms are not found, folks wave other sorts of branches to remember this moment but what's with the you know the the palm branches and the hosannas and why in the world is you know in this story jesus riding on a donkey and what's the big deal about this moment in jerusalem these are all great questions and i'm going to try and give you some some quick answers here you see jesus was going to jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover Passover was the time when the Jews remembered God's mighty deliverance out of slavery in Egypt centuries before what is called the Exodus. We'll talk more about the meaning of of Passover this coming Thursday night at our Maundy Thursday service. I invite you to come to that. I hope you'll come and we'll talk more about uh, the Passover. For now, suffice it to say that this was a very significant feast celebrated every year by the Jewish people. This was a very, very significant moment in their faith life. Tens of thousands of pilgrims from all the surrounding regions would have been coming to Jerusalem. The city would have been swollen to the very maximum capacity. Think Tunbridge Fair, okay? Think Tunbridge Fair, something like that. A little town packed with people. People were coming from all over. Would have been a great time of joy and jubilee as the people remembered God's deliverance. Leviticus 23, Leviticus is a book in the Old Testament, kind of near the beginning of the story there. If you wanted to flip back and look at it, it would be maybe give you some more insight to what's going on here. But Leviticus 23, which speaks of the various feasts that were required for the Jewish people uh, to observe. It mentions near the end of that chapter that the people are to wave palm branches for many of these feasts and rejoice before the Lord. As our passage before us today says, Jesus was staying in Bethany just about two miles or so from jerusalem with his good friends bethany was the home of some of jesus's closest friends mary and and martha and a man named lazarus whom jesus had raised from the dead in the chapter just prior to this one word would have spread quickly about this miracle look at verse 9 with me if you've got your bible open there look quickly with me or it'll be on the screen when the large Crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So there's all this commotion, not only because of Passover, but because a great miracle has been performed. Something very significant has happened. Now look with me at verses 12 and 13. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So Jesus stayed the night with his friends in Bethany, just right outside Jerusalem. And then the next day they went out of the city to wait upon him uh, to arrive in Jerusalem for the feast. So all these pilgrims know Jesus is there. They've heard of this miracle. Of course, there's a lot of hullabaloo about Jesus all throughout the kingdom anyways so they know he's going to be there and he's done this thing and they've got their palm branches ready and so that next day they leave the city and they're going out in anticipation that he's going to be coming in to jerusalem to this very important feast and as he approaches they're waving the palm branches which again accompanied various feasts and they are rejoicing the palm fronds themselves were a symbol of triumph and victory. You can see this, actually, a lot of ancient coins. We've talked about this many times before in other Palm Sunday services, but ancient coins have um, palm fronds as with emblems of uh, great emperors and gods and goddesses of the time period, symbolizing victory, gods of victory, and great uh, conquering military heroes could be seen on these coins. And they're shouting Hosanna, which is a cry of salvation, something like, save or save us now we pray something along those lines the expression blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord is a quotation out of psalm 118 which we just read earlier and during certain occasions the jews would sing specific psalms especially at the great feasts so sometimes folks will ask about uh you know why we do certain things in our what we call our liturgy certain things in our services well This is what the Jewish people did going back thousands of years. They had certain songs and things they would say at certain moments in their faith life. And this was one of them. They would sing these psalms called the Hallel Psalms as they came up into Jerusalem for many of their feasts and celebrations. And that word Hallel means praise in Hebrew. Psalm 118 was one of these psalms that they would often sing at this uh, sort of moment. This time. So the people were shouting out the words from Psalm 118 as they meet Jesus on the road coming into Jerusalem. And this psalm in particular is special. It's one of the what's called messianic psalms, which means it was a psalm that was speaking of the long awaited and expected Messiah figure that was coming, this rescue or this person they were looking to and expecting to come who was going to save them. No doubt, with the great miracle that Jesus performed in Bethany just prior to this moment, and with all they had heard about Jesus, many were beginning to speculate if Jesus might be this Messiah hero figure that they had been longing for. Notice in verse 13, the people are also calling him what? The King of Israel. Do you see that there in verse 13? You see, at one point earlier in Jesus' ministry, after performing a great miracle, the people tried to rise up and make Jesus king. They tried to, you know, give Him that authority and power over them. In an earthly sense, they wanted Him to reign. They wanted Him to kick out the, their oppressors, the Romans, to get them out of their lands and reestablish Israel as a sovereign nation, a self-governed nation, but Jesus wanted nothing to do with it because he had come for a different kind of purpose. And this is where the donkey comes in. Okay, I'm going to say more about the king thing in a moment. But This is where the donkey comes in. Why is Jesus on a donkey? The people would have done well to give more attention to the fact that Jesus was riding a donkey. If you look at verse 15 there in your Bibles, if you've got it, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. There's king, so they see that, sitting on a donkey's colt. They they perhaps missed the meaning there of that part. This is a quotation out of a little book near the end of the Old Testament called Zechariah. And it foretells a day when the coming king will enter Jerusalem on a donkey. A donkey is a lowly animal, a humble animal. It's not an intimidating animal, maybe like a horse. If you've ever been near a a big horse, they're intimidating creatures, especially if you don't know what you're doing, right? Like me. Those are intimidating animals. If Jesus were coming as the kind of king that it appears so many of them were wanting, he would have likely entered Jerusalem on a war horse like other earthly kings, right? Would have communicated a different kind of message. But Jesus... Is a different kind of king. Jesus is a lowly king. A king who brings peace. In fact if you were to go to Zechariah 9. That book that um, John quotes right there. And Zechariah 9.9 9 is the actual verse that he quotes. But if you were to read the rest of the chapter. You would find that this king is one who will bring an end to war. One who will bring peace to Israel. And likewise all the nations. A different kind of king. So as Christ comes into Jerusalem, his message is not a message that the people were ready for. He was bringing a message of peace. But we will see as the week goes on that the peace was to be accomplished, not through military might. But by laying down his life on the cross. Okay, now that we've framed up what is going on here, at least a little bit, hopefully I've. Answered maybe some of the dangling threads out there, little questions about all this uh, stuff that's going on here. Let's move to point number one. Again, remember the big idea. Because our Lord Jesus is the one who uh, gives our faith meaning, we must live out our faith first and foremost for Him. He's what our faith is about. We must live first and foremost for Him and not for other things. You see, so many people had come to Jerusalem that day for all kinds of reasons, and not all of those reasons were right and good. So I want us to do some soul searching this morning and look inside. Have we come to the festival for Jesus? Are we here for Jesus or for other reasons? So our first point is that we must live our faith, first and foremost, for Him, not for hype, okay? not for hype look at verse 9 when the large crowd of the jews learned that jesus was there they came not only on account of him but also to see lazarus whom he had raised from the dead a great many people who were at this celebratory moment were there because of the hype right they were there because they had heard something great had happened and can you blame them no Somebody raised someone from the dead next door. Wow, let's go check it out. I mean, that's pretty amazing. You can't blame them. Jesus was doing amazing things. Things that no other person had ever done. He was teaching as one with authority, casting out demons. He was raising the dead, healing the sick, defying the leaders of the time with his wisdom. As they even tried to trip him up, he would contradict them and, and answer them in really profound ways. So they had come to see this this amazing person, Jesus. And to see Lazarus. No doubt hoping that they would see another miracle or something else, maybe amazing or spectacular, would happen. But one wonders if they were there out of sincere love for Jesus, desire to follow Him, and to submit to His way, or just to see a show, right? God only knows ultimately But I do know that in many places today in our land, church has become more like a show than it has a place of real worship and devotion to Jesus. Church is the place where you go to get an emotional high for many today. You might even say that church is like a drug for some people. But what happens when the emotions wear off? What happens when life gets really hard? What happens after the music stops? And you go back out into life where the world is not always a friendly place. If the Jesus you love and serve maybe is the kind of Jesus that these people were expecting and they got something very different, then maybe there's some disappointment. So I want to ask, is the Jesus you love and serve the real Jesus, the one that's put before us today today, The one who is coming to die and lay down his life and suffer, I think that Jesus can sustain you. Because he knows what pain is like. He knows what it's like to hurt, to suffer, to give himself for another. He can sustain you. So, in those moments when you get that phone call nobody wants, or when your life's work falls apart, If you're riding on the hype, on the emotions, on the adrenaline, what will sustain you when those things are stripped away? The real Jesus can sustain you, but maybe not the one of our imaginations, right? The one that is just always about sort of the hype and the energy and the mountaintop experience we must live our faith first and foremost for the jesus we're given before us today not the hype because rest assured hype is always just that it's hype where do you think these people were a few days later those of you who know the rest of the story where were they many of them were running away fleeing some were there chanting with the rest crucify him down with this guy So that's point number one. Point number one, we must live for Christ, for Jesus, not for the hype, right? Not for the emotional high. That's point number one. Our second point is that we must live our faith first and foremost, again, for Jesus, not for religion, not for religion. There are likely many of us who hear that first point about hype and emotion and think, well, that's not me at all, right? I'm, I'm not falling off the fence on that side of things at all maybe hype is not something that means much to you you're the type who does things because well you're just supposed to do them a lot of folks around here like that right a lot of folks who are very committed to doing the things they're expected to do and responsible kind of people well let's look at verses 10 and 11 really quick let's think about these people called the chief priests the pharisees the chief priests Made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because, on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Well, if you can believe it, these people were angry because Jesus had raised someone from the dead. Can you believe it? Jesus is helping people, Jesus is saving lives, Jesus is blessing folks. Jesus was giving these people all kinds of reasons to be upset. He was healing folks and feeding the masses and teaching them about God. What what was making them so upset? They were plotting to kill him because he was helping people and healing people. Little did they know that Jesus was the one to whom their whole faith system pointed he was the one that they'd been waiting on. Talk about missing the forest for the trees, right? In another gospel, that uh, tells us the same, uh, same story. The gospels, multiple gospels have this story. I think actually all four may have this account uh, in them. But in another gospel that tells the same story, I believe it's Luke. the religious leaders are shouting at Jesus, telling him to make his disciples be quiet. Right, they're praising him and, and saying, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're yelling at them. They're yelling at Jesus. Rebuke your disciples, Jesus. What are they doing? Right? They were so concerned. Well, Jesus then responds to it with these words. If these would be quiet, surely the stones would cry out. Which was a lyric in our song we sang a moment ago. But they were so concerned with with propriety and with the details of their faith. They missed the main thing. They missed Jesus, the one with whom it was all pointing towards, the one who gave it all meaning. They missed him. And in the end, it's not how well we keep all the various details of our faith that saves us. That's not what saves us. That's not what would have saved them, their obedience. Only Christ. They were looking forward to the coming one. He's now come. We look back and remember what he's done. He's coming again. So we're looking back and forwards. Those of us who are New Testament people, right? But in the Old Testament, they're looking forwards to him. And their system taught them that you can't can't work to be right with God. That's not how this works. It's a, it's a, a grace system. A system of grace. All of it, start to finish. Only Jesus saves our religious duty is important because it's one of the ways that we express our love for God so we don't discard the commandments right we don't just say well we'll live however we want because it doesn't matter and we're not saved by doing that stuff no we don't discard it right but let us not be so consumed with our religion that we miss the one who gives it meaning right we are obedient out of love for him he's changed our hearts so we long to live For him most deeply, Jesus came to restore our relationship with God, our obedience to all the rules and the details of our faith flow out of our love for Jesus and our recognition that we are deeply loved by him. Which is why he came in the first place. We are not loved because we are obedient. We are obedient to God because we are loved. When we fail, we can run to him and receive His forgiveness and grace. And the Pharisees had completely turned this all around, and they missed it. They missed their Messiah. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us, as Richard Sibbs, a great Puritan, once said. The religious leaders of the day miss that. Let's not miss it too, right? That it's all of grace. That's point number two. Okay, let's not be so wrapped up in all of the details of our faith that we missed. We missed Jesus. Point number three: we must live our faith first and foremost for Him, not for politics. And this is another interesting thing that we see going on here in this story, right? So we've got people there for the hype. We've got people there, uh, right, for other reasons. We've got people there for because maybe their family's there or because maybe some, again, like the Pharisees were there for obedience and this is what we're supposed to do. Then you've got people there hoping for a revolution, right? That are there for political agendas. This too was an error that we see happening in Jesus' day. As I've already pointed out, there were some people there for all kinds of different reasons hoping that, and one of them was that they thought maybe Jesus could kick the bad guys out and restore the nation to what it should be. We see them hailing him as the king of Israel in verse 13. And that is true. Jesus is the king of Israel. But he was not the kind of king they were wanting or expecting. Jesus was a servant, humble king, who was going to lay down his life. Not a military conquering king. And there will come a day when Christ will return on a horse and will usher judgment. And that day is coming, but that this moment we're looking at today is, is not that day. And I wonder if they understood this, would they have been there that day? That Jesus was not, His, his purpose was not to, to boot the Romans out and set up Israel as a sovereign nation again. Would many of these people have been there? Maybe. Would they have been as excited as they were? Would they have filled the streets with chants and praise? Maybe. But I think there are many people in churches today who are in churches for all sorts of reasons that are not right and good. Maybe even many in church for political reasons and not really and truly for Jesus. And this applies on the left end of the spectrum and the right end of the spectrum. All sorts of political churches all around us that focus more on political agendas than on Christ But hear me clearly, I'm not against politics and I don't think the Bible is against politics either. There's a biblical kind of politic, if you want to call it that. I think what we have to say as followers of Jesus has massive implications for our political life. I think believers should be active in the public square and should serve in offices as they are equipped and called and able. I think believers should vote and be vocal about right and wrong. We're to have a prophetic witness, to speak the truth. To, power, to seek justice for all, right? These are things that we should be committed to, right? We are to call sin, sin, and so on. And that has political ramifications. I believe that with every fiber of my being. We need to understand our times, discuss the issues, walk wisely, and politics is a part of that. But that is still not why we're here this morning, right? We're, we're here at this, what you might say, a mini-feast, Sundays are a many feast of sorts A many celebration of Christ's death and resurrection And we're here this morning Not at a Republican rally Or at a Democrat rally Or a socialist rally Or an independent rally That's not what we're doing here, right? And that triumphal entry we're reading about this morning in John 12 Was not what so many thought it was Many were there with political aspirations Get these Romans out of here not for Jesus, not even for perhaps the Passover. They were there for other reasons. They were there, maybe you could say, to see Jesus do their bidding. But that is not why Christ had come. As Christians, we gather first and foremost to worship Him, to profess our allegiance to Him above all other things, to know Him, to call upon Him, to confess our sins to Him, to remind ourselves that He is the rightful ruler of this world, And one day he will return and renew it. We're reminding ourselves of all of these things, right? And there's political ramifications of some of those things. But Jesus is the main thing. There was one group who came to the feast that day that seems to have understood a bit better than others the point of it all. Look now with me at verses 20 and 21. If you've got your Bible. Now among those who went up to the feast to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They had come to the Passover to see Jesus. That's why they were there. We are not given many other details about this moment, but those words alone capture the essence of maybe why they were there. We want to see him. They go out of their way to see Jesus. I want to ask you that question this morning. Are you here to see Jesus? To have an encounter with Christ this morning. Would you be content to see no one else? To have no other thing if you had Jesus. Beloved, there's nothing more for us here than Jesus. There's no greater gift for heaven to give. No other blessings. No more rewards. Nothing to be added to what we already have. Do you see that? Is Christ truly your greatest treasure? Is he the one you've come to see today? May it be so. He is the reason for this season, Holy Week. So let's keep that in front of our minds in all that we do this week. Amen. Now we will turn to the table, to to the Lord's table, but let's pray before we do that now. Lord, I know we're we're all a mixed bag, and it's hard f- for us to parse these things out and and to ask those difficult questions. Would would I be content with just Jesus? That's a hard question. And Lord, I know that uh, may, maybe in some ways it's not really even a fair question because we we don't know what like life would really be like. Um without all of the other things that we enjoy and are blessed with. But Lord, I pray that people would would get what I'm what I'm trying to say. Is Christ the most important thing? Is He the greatest reason, the ultimate reason, the biggest thing in our hearts when we come to church and when we celebrate and when we come to the Lord's table when we do the things that we do as believers is he everything for us is he the one who truly reigns on our heart Lord that is certainly my desire for all of us and I pray it would be all of our desire that as a church family we would live and speak and act that way So, Lord, as we come to the table now, we just acknowledge we struggle so much with this. Our hearts are idle factories. We've already confessed our sins. We've acknowledged uh, your pardoning grace, and we are so thankful for it. But as we come to the table, would you once again instruct us, strengthen us, and help us uh, to not just know these things in our heads, but to experience them deep down in our hearts and to to go from this place in the power of the Spirit to truly be all that you call us to be. Lord, may these elements before us be the body and the blood of Christ. May we be strengthened and helped and taught and renewed and encouraged and humbled in this moment do all those things. Only you can do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.